All right, Galatians 3, 1 to 22. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So, again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by, you, by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. As no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to a seed. Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the God. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, let's, let's pray. Let's just begin just centering on, on Christ and his presence. Lord, we come to you on your terms, believing you are good. And that you love us. And you call us to have faith, to trust you, that you are good, and then we become your people. That's what this is all about. That's what this text is all about. That's what we want to be all about. Trusting you and knowing what you say about us is true. Show us what that looks like today. Holy Spirit, come, shine light into the dark places in our minds that are foggy or maybe tired and we're coming in here 
with questions we don't even know we have, Lord, shine and breathe the fog away. May we see you, Jesus, clearly portrayed as crucified, the King. May we see you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome to Park Hill Church. If you're new, welcome. My name is Evan, and my wife Sandy and I, we are overjoyed, really. We pinch ourselves at the fact we get to lead this church and and gather here with you week in and week out. Um, We are in a series called Galatians, One New Family. It's we're going through the book of Galatians. And honestly, I'll, I'll just be up front right away. This was a hard one for me. Uh, this is just a hard sermon to prep for a couple reasons. Number one, this chapter, chapter three, that Rebecca just read, it is soaked, soaked in Old Testament stories of Abraham and nuances about the works of the law and Mosaic code and kosher laws. It's soaked in that stuff. And honestly, you guys, I don't know how many of you like live kosher um, or how many of you know Abraham's story like down pat and what the law meant before Moses and all of that. So like we're, we're not soaked in Abraham's story like these first listeners were. And the second reason this is hard is because we don't share the same problem that the first listeners had. Paul's specifically dealing with Gentiles being told they have to become Jewish to belong. How many of you guys are like, yeah, I just woke up this morning and I'm so concerned that I'm not, that I'm not kosher and that you know, I'm not observing Sabbath on a Saturday from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm even belonging at Park Hill. That's not, that's not what you and I are waking up worrying about, right? It doesn't keep you up at night. Maybe that is what keeps you up at night. Maybe there are some of you that do. If so, I highly recommend this book called Galatians. Because um, that, that's specifically the problem he's talking about here. Uh, but for the rest of us, virtually all Christians everywhere, we don't worry about not being Jewish because Galatians worked. 2,000 years ago, it worked and it shaped a whole global body of Christ where the church is worshiping Jesus without worrying about bacon, right? So this is the challenge. I have a challenge right now of, of bridging cultures that are a long time ago and far away, you know, Star Wars. But, but it's truly, it's, it's forever ago. And, and on the surface, it doesn't seem like it relates to us. Um, and it's, you know, Abraham's 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago to Paul, who's, it's just, how is this relevant to my life? So today, instead of going line by line, verse by verse, we're going to zoom out, pop out of the forest, see the whole forest and not just the trees this time. And we're going to follow Paul's main line of logic. And as we do, I think we're going to find Galatians is very timely, specifically chapter three is very timely for our moment. And so, um, yeah, in this room, again, we don't feel the tension about Jewish identities, but we do feel the tension around other identities, right? Political tribes, political identities and racial identities. We spent all day last Sunday speaking directly to this issue of tension around racial identity. And there's other, other tensions around gender and sexual identities, and, and even around our personal preferences. You can air your opinion these days, and the room just gets icy, right? About things that aren't even explicit in the scriptures, but we get passionate about them. And so Paul's main line of logic is, is that 
the gospel is not, I require you to become like me to belong. But the gospel is, Paul's saying the gospel is instead, through faith in Jesus, through trusting Jesus, we are all becoming like Jesus because we all belong to his family. We're not becoming like each other. We're all together, diversely becoming like him. That's, that's what Paul's saying. But unfortunately, what's happening in Galatia and what's happening in a lot of spaces in America is that people, Christians, are saying, no, no, actually, I do need you to become like me, to belong with me. I actually do need you to think like me. And even if you don't say that explicitly, we say that with our body language and how we just, just ghost people in our lives. And, and so here's what Paul has to say to that. First line of the chapter, you ready? Here's what he says to that. You foolish Galatians who's bewitched you, okay? Very strong language. And so like, we can receive that. It's like Paul's looking at the American church in 2022, and he's looking at our Facebook rants and the articles we post at each other and our lack of curiosity toward different views. Like, oh, how'd you come to that view? I'm very interested, genuinely. Let's learn from each other. Our lack of that. And he's like, you foolish American Christians. Who has bewitched you? <laughs> and, and now that word bewitched is interesting. Um, the Greek word is evil eye or jealous eye. And the idea is that you cast a spell on someone in that day through your jealous eye of envy. And this was a common idea in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Here's a picture. You want to see the evil eye? Here it is. You see that? There's, there it is. I'm getting some Sauron vibes, some Mordor vibes. This is, a second, this is a second century mosaic from ancient Antioch, which is now Antioch, Antioch or something. Antakya, Antakya, Turkey, right. And uh, so this is, within a hundred years of Paul's letter being written, this mosaic was made. And you see the evil eyeball there. This is very, very common in that region in that day. Um, this eye has evil power. It's motivated by envy at other people's good. So you, your life is going great. This, this evil eye is gonna get jealous of you and take your stuff and make you sick and kill your kids. This, was, this is what this eye is gonna do. Um, and notice all the creatures, magical creatures around, like there's like a trident and a centipede trying to keep this eye away. The idea is no one wants this eye around. It's like the worst. And so here in Galatians 3.1, Paul's using that picture, very common in that day. He's using it to wake up the Galatians. Look at what is happening to you. He's saying, you guys had really good stuff going on. Jews and Gentiles, the first multi-ethnic family in the history of the world. This is amazing what God is doing. This is, real, this is gold. You are gold. No wonder the evil eye is jealous of you. The worst part is you've given in to it. You, you, what you have is so good that the dark powers have become jealous of you. You get this. Back in chapter one, he says the present evil age. He talks about the present evil age of darkness. He's like, your unity, when you're unified, and when you... Put all your secondary issues that are not scriptural or gospel, when you put them all down and submit to Jesus as Lord with your differences at the table. When you do that, the evil powers of Satan are so frustrated and jealous of what God has. 
And sometimes that jealousy, we believe it, we accept it, and it perverts what's going on, and we divide into tribes, and that's what's happening in Galatia. Listen, Park Hill Church, I think it's important we realize our unity today, when, when you decide to love across disagreement and difference, when you decide to commit through the mess of community, your unity makes Satan jealous. Park Hill Church, you make Satan jealous And the global church is united around the bread and cup right now, around the Bible and the spirit every week, and it frustrates the power of darkness, which is why division is so tempting. That gravity is pulling on us. The gravity of the the powers of hell, we feel that. It's almost like it's calling to us from our news feeds and our devices and our seemingly own, our, our, our own emotional responses. And, and so Paul's reiterating what we've been saying this whole series long. The real conspiracy, you want to know what it is, it's satanic. It's designed to get you focused on global meta whatevers you can do basically nothing about so that you, knew, so that you knew, neglect the working of heaven. Prayer, scripture, eating and drinking, generosity, hospitality. Paul's like, you're neglecting that because the evil eye has you under its spell. You're foolish, you gave in, he's saying. And to make his point, Paul does this pun, this play on words with eyes. Look at the rest of the verse. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's given you the evil eye? Because before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's like, you gave into the evil eye even though your eyes have been made good. Because you've beheld Christ crucified. How could you? You've seen Christ crucified for you. Wait, wait, uh, how did the Galatians see Christ crucified? Galatia is far from Jerusalem. They weren't all around the cross. How did the Galatians see Jesus on the cross? Because Paul preached the gospel to them. This is his reasoning. Paul preached the cross to them. Paul has a lot of confidence in this thing called gospel preaching that I'm doing right now. And that you're gathering for at the family dinner of Jesus. There is a lot of power in this moment. And I am terrified by it, to be honest. Paul's talking about how effective his own preaching was on the Galatians. Paul didn't have slides of cool you know, mosaics. He didn't have a graphic designer with the Park Hill logo. He didn't, have, he didn't have all the visuals. But he had preaching And when he preached, he preached the cross of Jesus in such a way that it was like the Galatians were seeing a a reenactment of Christ crucified. Literally a portrayal before your eyes. Christ was portrayed as crucified. This is the core of the good news, you guys. The cross of Jesus Christ is the heart of the good news. And all through the New Testament, we see the gospel preached in different ways. But in every case, the cross is either explicitly mentioned or or always implied. Always. Galatians starts out with a summary of the gospel back in chapter 1. It says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So right there is the word cross in in that verse. No, there's no cross in that verse, but that's exactly what Paul is referring to, you understand? So the same thing in 1 Corinthians. This happens all over the place, guys. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, 
Paul doesn't use the word cross. And here's why I'm saying this. Gospel preaching takes all kinds of different forms, but the heart is always the cross. And this, this doesn't make the word cross a magic word. That's kind of what I'm trying to say here. The, the word cross is not a magic word, as if the gospel has to have the word cross in it in order to count. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is at the center of this whole story of God's kingdom coming to earth. So the cross isn't a magic word. It's actually the heart of this whole thing called the good news. And, and so here at Park Hill, we talk about the good news a lot. And it's massive. We talk about the scope. It's just huge. And sometimes we start at the very beginning. It goes something like this. Here's a well-known outline. Little, uh, there's two quick crash courses in this, in this teaching. Here's the first one. Gospel. Starts with creation, right? In the beginning, God made the universe. He made a human family to be his partners in running the world. So one of the good things God gave this family is freedom, freedom to love, authentic love. But, but part two, we hit the fall, right? Instead of freely enjoying the universe with God, we abused ourselves and our freedom by defining good and evil according to our own desires instead of God's, right? And it's, but, it, but since God is righteous, remember two weeks ago, what does righteous mean? He has to fix stuff. He, he can't give up on things. So, he, so he's righteous, so he has to pursue us, which means he's committed to healing and restoring. He won't give up on us, so we moved to part three very quickly. Redemption. And in, in phase three, redemption, God chooses one family out of the many human families and through that one family, all the other human families of the world can be healed. Do you know the name of that family head? Abraham, right. That's the family of Abraham. We, so, so this is a big point of today. And out of Abraham's family would come one person, way later, thousands of years after Abraham, would come the, 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 the promise-keeping individual who would carry out God's rescue plan. And that rescuer was who? Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel's story. You can't take Jesus out of the Israel story. When you do that, you lose a huge chunk of the gospel. And, and so this rescuer, Jesus, he, he comes onto the scene, but here's what we did because we continue to do things against God. We crucified Jesus, right? All our families, notice who's at the cross. Is it just Jews? It's not, it's not just Gentiles either. It's, it's, every, it's everyone, Jews and Gentiles, at the cross, crucifying God. And so when we did that to Jesus, Jesus, what did he do? He absorbed all our violence and released forgiveness. And in this way, Jesus died for our sins. You could think of it this way. We sinned all our sins into Jesus at the cross, and Jesus absorbed them, and released healing over the whole world. And, and that, that healing and forgiveness is now available to everyone who trusts the healer and forgiver. Why? Why does that work? Why does the cross work so powerfully? Because Jesus is the only authority, you guys. He's the only authority, and he's the only king of the only kingdom that will last forever. Every other authority will vaporize. 
Whether that authority is political or Republican or Democrat or a dictator or democracy or you. It's all temporary. Only Jesus' authority is eternal. And therefore, elevating any temporary authority above Jesus's is going to land you outside his kingdom. Understand? It's your choice, not God's, that you would be outside his kingdom. And God confirmed all this is true. He's like, this is all true. I stamp my God stamp on this Jesus thing by raising Jesus from the dead. So this is all in the redemption category. God has done a lot for us. So Jesus rose from the dead, demonstrating that Jesus is more powerful than sin, Satan, and death, and more powerful than you and me. So ultimately, one day, you and me will do what Jesus did and rise from our death. If we trust in him. Which, which leads us to part four. The final chapter of the gospel is restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We will once again partner perfectly with our creator. He's the ultimate artist and poet and entrepreneur and designer. Our creator is brilliant. And with him, we're going to fill the new heavens and new earth with God's beauty, truth, and goodness forever. Into eternity with no more sin, Satan, or death to get in the way. How does that sound? This is righteousness. This is everything the way it should be that every human longs for. Love, just limitless love and creativity forever. You guys, that right there is the whole, the whole story in a four-piece kind of nutshell. The gospel, the good news. And at the heart of this, here's, here's why I'm doing this. At the heart of this is the cross. And Paul knew how to preach that. Paul knew how to preach it in such a way they could actually see Jesus on the cross. Verse one, again, before your very eyes. You heard me preach and you saw it, Christ crucified. How many of you were here last week for JT Thomas? Yeah, absolute fire. It was amazing. He, he preached, but listen, he got to the part on the cross. Do you remember this? If you're at the 8.30, he said something very, I've never heard it before, quite put this way. And it was like I was looking at Jesus bleeding on the cross. Um, he, JT said this brilliant line, Jesus was the only man in history to have given birth. Blood and water broke. When a woman gives birth, her water breaks and new life is born through blood and water. When Jesus hung on the cross, water and blood broke from his belly and he gave birth to the one new family of God. I was like, why have I never heard that before? That's insane. I am seeing Christ portrayed as crucified for me in a way that matters. This is powerful. And after the sermon, I'm like, JT, I've, I've been in church my whole life. I've read a lot of books and I've never heard that. That's so true. And he's like, man, when one's woman water breaks, at most a few kids are born. When Jesus' blood and water broke from his body, he gave birth to billions and I was like a bonus part he gave at the end. I was like, I can't believe it. I'm seeing Jesus on the cross. I'm I can't unsee that. I can't unsee Christ crucified. And, and that's what Paul's saying. He's like, you guys can't unsee Christ crucified. But you're living like you are. Yeah. The family's giving in to the evil eye. Your eye was cleaned. Now you're giving in to the evil one. 
um, of tribalism and division and demanding other things. When Jesus Christ, what demands did he place on us at the cross? And so um, Paul fires off some questions, which is really one question, but you know, he's in that mode where he's like, like five rhetorical questions at once. And, and so verse two through five are these questions. He says, I want to learn one, just one thing from you. And he asked five things. He says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or believing what you heard? That's really the one question. And he asks it five times. Are you so foolish? Question two. After beginning by the means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, do you guys think that the cross was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? You started so well, you guys. You saw Christ crucified, you responded in faith, but, and you, you had the Holy Spirit pour out. And you've seen this multi-ethnic family happening. But now you're requiring people to become Jewish in order to belong and keep eating with you. Come on. The only explanation for this is dark power. What is going on? And, and his, his logic is, you guys remember how you became family. You didn't become family by becoming Jewish. That wasn't the requirement. You received the Holy Spirit by hearing the message. Just That's it. And so Paul's logic, hopefully you hear this, this is where it matters for us, even if we're not super worried about Jewishness. And we're worried about all kinds of other things. Here's the logic. If you became family by trusting in Jesus, why on earth would you require others to become like you instead of become like Jesus? So this whole thing is about a, about a diverse family becoming like Jesus together. And in order to prove his point, okay, this is, this is we're coming up on the second crash course, the last one. In order to prove his point, Paul takes the Galatians back to the story of Abraham. And so basically the next two chapters of Galatians, Galatians is only six chapters, chapters three and four, the whole middle is, is basically Abraham. And he's just pulling from Abraham's story. Um, because really Abraham's story is our shared ancestry. It's our, this is our like real ancestry.com. Like, we all go back to this family. Um, so, so starting in verse 6, here's the beginning of his argument. He says, so also Abraham believed God. Remember, you, you, you became his family by just believing, just like Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw, the Bible foresaw. He's saying the Scriptures teach us. You have the Bible. You have no excuse they, the scriptures foresaw that God would justify, he'd make right the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Incredible. Don't have time to get into the amazingness of this, that statement. But here's the gospel in advance. There it is. What is it? Quote, all nations will be blessed through you. Paul calls that the gospel in advance that God told Abraham. Okay. Uh, so those who rely on faith are the blessed through Abraham. Okay, now remember from a couple weeks ago, justify means to make right. It means to, to fix, to, to bring things into order the way you want them to be. And, and, and so in this verse, Paul's using justify and blessed 
basically as synonyms. All nations of the world will become blessed. They'll become the way they should be. They'll be every, all, everything firing on all the cylinders and every, no missing pieces, full shalom. There's all, these, there's all these synonyms coming together here because this is the gospel. And so Paul's essentially saying this, whoever trusts in Messiah like Abraham did will be made right just like Abraham was. Whatever ethnicity, whatever identity, whatever culture you bring to the table, you belong here because of trusting Jesus, period. This is true for Park Hill Church. Whatever identity or culture you come from, you belong here on the basis of Jesus' trustworthiness and you saying amen to him. Uh, Yes to Jesus. 100% belonging. Later in this chapter, Paul's gonna say, therefore there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. Paul's not erasing identities. He's flattening the rankings. He's saying in this organization called the church, there is one organizational leader and then a big flat line. No one over anyone for any reason except Jesus. So, so this, this is how he's saying the kingdom works. And there's a word he uses for all this. Slide 19, one word. There's a word he uses all through this chapter and it's promise. In fact, he uses this word 11 times in Galatians, nine times in this chapter alone. And this word promise, it would have triggered the Galatians in beautiful ways. Their mind would just be coming, like all the lights on the dashboard would be going off. Oh, we know this word. This word gives us all the right emotions. We want the promise. But here's our problem. We're coming up against the problem again. Uh, It's 2022, and it's San Diego, and we're, you know, 4,000 years from Abraham. I don't know how many of you grew up in a Jewish home. Your heart maybe doesn't beat on that rhythm. Um, 2,000 years away from Paul, and honestly, I don't know, we're not really thinking of the promise. The promise isn't waking us up in the morning, is it? Necessarily, I'll just the prom, living for the promise. I doubt your morning routine is like, you know, pour over breakfast and a daily recap of the Abrahamic promise through the messianic line during your quick jog on your podcast you made for yourself to remind yourself. It's just not, that would be absolutely, that would be the Galatians. This is how they lived. Uh, it's not how we live. So here's what I'm going to do. We're not going to go verse by verse, like I said, through chapter three, because then we'd have to get into the nuances of a specific problem that we're not facing um, because we're not worried about whether we should be Jewish or not. And so, so you can actually go listen to the teaching from two weeks ago entitled The Faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And, and you get all the terms defined like justified, works of law, righteousness, and then on your own, read chapter three in detail and it will come alive for you. Um, but But... But the best move for us is to zoom out and look at the whole forest. And so here's, here's, here's what that looks like. It's a crash course on Abraham and the promise and how San Diego fits into Abraham and the promise. That's, that's gonna be the money for us. Okay, so turn in your Bibles to the moment of promise. Does anybody know what chapter it is? The birth of the promise. That's Okay. It is not that familiar to a lot of Christians. Genesis 12, awesome, that's, that. that's right. So turn to Genesis 12. This is the birth of the gospel in advance. 
Here it is. You ready? The Lord, verse one, the Lord. You see the all caps? Whenever you see Lord in all caps, that's the personal name of Yahweh. That's Yahweh saying, I'm a person and that's my name. And so I'm gonna do my best to read it that way. So Yahweh said to Abram, his name wasn't Abraham yet. Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to a land I'll show you. Here it comes, you ready? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, put feet to his faith as Yahweh told him to. And Lot went with him, his nephew. Abraham was 75 years old, 75 when he left his father's territory. And so what's, what's God telling Abraham here? What's the promise? It's, it's basically two parts. Keep it up on the screen. It's that first line and the last line. Part one, I'll make you a great nation. And part two is, if that was amazing, this is unfathomable, pretty much. All the other nations on the earth will experience the blessing. And I promise this, through your family. So Abraham's 75 at this moment. So he's 75 years old, physically, I don't know, arguably incapable of having a family at this, at this point, no kids. And his wife, Sarah, is old too. And they're gonna like have kids? And the nations are gonna experience the blessing, the righteousness, the all things as it should be through this kid that doesn't exist and I'm 75. Um, and year after year goes by, right? And now Abram's in his mid 80s and Abram's tempted to make one of his servants his heir. He's like, you know, I'm just gonna take matters into my own hands and just adopt my servant. And then this happens in Genesis 15. After this, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Yahweh, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. A question, how will this happen? And then an accusation, you, you didn't deliver, it seems. And then God responds faithfully because he promised he would. And God can't lie. Verse four, he says, the word of Yahweh came to him in a vision. No, oh, sorry, next slide. Yeah, yeah. Then the word of Yahweh came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So Yahweh took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. Yeah, I dare you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been like legit stargazing. I was able to finally see the Milky Way without second guessing, you know, if it was a cloud. Uh, last fall, out in the deserts of Utah, south of St. George, I'm like, oh, that's totally, that's totally the Milky Way. It's not a cloud. I can actually see the difference between, a, and those are stars. Those are individual stars, indistinguishable from each other. 
And yet there's also distinguishable stars overlaid across the indistinguishable. And there's this two-way reality happening where there's a diversity of stars and yet a unity of stars. And and I'm seeing it before my very eyes. And if, if I could see that in 2021, last fall, Abraham... Abraham with zero light pollution. What did he see? And Yahweh's, I dare you to, I dare you to count them. And that same dare is going to happen to you trusting me. I dare you to trust me that big. Um, and what does Abram do? Verse six, Abram believed the Lord, Yahweh, and Yahweh credited it to him. That's righteousness, that belief. The word belief there is literally the Hebrew word amend. Abram amend Yahweh, and Yahweh said, that's what I'm talking about, that's my kind of guy, because I'm righteous. That's literally what God is saying to Abram, you are my kind of guy. So what does this mean? Abram believed that God can't lie, and God would keep promises, against the odds. Do you believe God can keep promises against the odds? You read the scriptures, you know the gospel, you know God's character. Do you follow that through to the end in your own life? Do you believe God is faithful to keep his word against the odds in your life? Abraham did, and God said, that's my kind of person. Righteous through faith, through trusting against the odds in my Yahweh character. So he trusted what God says is true against the odds. And this wasn't just about trusting that he would have a baby. It was trusting that all the nations of the earth would experience blessing and righteousness through the baby. Against the odds, that's not even odds. That's impossible without God. But Abraham trusted it, understand, because God said it. And when Abraham trusted Yahweh, it says, Yahweh said, that's my kind of guy, righteous. Um, and through Abraham's faith, the whole, God says the whole world will be made my kind of world. Through my kind of guy, I'll have my kind of world. God himself is a unity in diversity. God himself is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one God. And, and this relationality, this is my kind of world. This is my kind of person. This is my kind of community. Because this is ultimately the kind of God he is. And, and so Abraham trusted him completely. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you again, if, can you put your faith in Yahweh today? I don't care if you're a Christian right here. Christian or not, I'm asking all of you. Can you put your faith in Yahweh, uh, regardless of how you identify, uh, Trust in what Yahweh can do in the world and in you. And if you say yes to this, then you become a child of promise too. You become, Yahweh says, my kind of girl. You're my kind of guy. This is what he does. This is what happens to you through faith. And this is Paul's logic in chapter three and chapter four. Here it is. God says to Abram, a descendant of yours will find a way to make the whole world right. All the nations will be blessed through you. 
And, and Paul's saying to everyone from Galatia to Park Hill in San Diego, if you believe that Christ can make the world right, you have the same faith as Abraham. You're a child of Abraham. You do not have to become like anyone but Jesus to belong. So this is the logic through Galatians. At the end of chapter three, Paul summarizes it in one verse. You know, I, I told you we're not getting in the weeds. Fly to the end of the chapter, get in the weeds yourself. Verse 29, he sums up the whole thing and says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. You inherit the promise that God made to Abraham and to Jesus, it's yours. You belong, you belong forever. Um, so, so, so that's Paul's core reason why um, we as the church of 2022 must live in unity. We have the promise, now live like it, understand. We have the promise, now live like it. Uh, you guys, we are part of a really big, like really big family that's getting, it's just exploding right now. Do you know this? We talk about this once in a while. This is what Galatians is about. So we're going to talk about it again right now. The, the, the church of Jesus is getting bigger and bigger, bigger all the time. It can feel like this isn't true if we focus on San Diego and your little like pocket of Western San Diego bubble. Uh, but um, Mark Knoll, in The Shape of Christianity, uh, he says this. I think I messed up the slide here, but Mark Knoll says this. Uh, you can... Yeah, I cut off the slide, so you can delete that slide. I'm going to read the thing. It says this, Mark says this, This past Sunday, it's possible that more Christian believers attended church in China than in all of so-called Europe. This past Sunday, more Anglicans attended church in each of Kenya, South Africa, Tanzania, and Uganda than all the Anglicans in Britain, Canada, and Episcopalians in the U.S. combined. And this past Sunday, more Presbyterians were at the church in Ghana than the church of Scotland. So the church is growing and growing because God's promise cannot fail. God cannot lie. He's expanding the stars, you guys. He, this isn't stopping. And, and this multi-ethnic, mutually honoring family, it cannot exist apart from the power of Jesus. There's simply no other explanation. I love how Rebecca McLaughlin says this, whose book is back at the Connect table. Highly recommend her book. She says this, celebration of diversity is a core secular liberal value, but when it comes to diversity, the cards are firmly in our hands. Christianity is the most culturally and ethnically diverse belief system in the world, and that's no accident. Christianity was fiercely multiracial, multiethnic, and multicultural from the start. And the church through history has always been majority female, by the way. When we think about our cultural moment, therefore, we need to stop lamenting how the church is being eroded by demographic forces beyond our control and start celebrating what God is doing through his glorious mixed multitude of a church. I, I, a thousand amens, you guys. I love that line too. This diversity is no accident. This is exactly Paul's point in Galatians 3 by pointing back to Abraham and saying the promise is being fulfilled. Nothing can stop it. The kaleidoscope of diversity called the church, there's no way it came from humans. We're too violent for that, right? We're too tribal. We're, and honestly, we're just not smart enough to do this. 
So what is this table, this bread and cup? What, what are we invited to? What is this? We want the world to be, what is this table where people from the political right and left and center are together in unity around some higher value? It's significantly high, higher to the point where all the other things are insignificant in comparison. What is this giant family where everyone looks and talks so different from each other and yet everyone looks and talks like Jesus? What is this? The only explanation is that God keeps his promises. We're not clever enough for this, you guys. So what does this all mean for today? What's, this, is, this is all great and inspiring, uh, maybe, you're thinking, but like, what, what does this mean for my life? And it's, I'm going to leave one thought that we can take with us into this week, where we can live into this diverse yet unifiedness that we are. And it's this. At the church level... We know we are living in authentic unity in diversity when everyone is experiencing discomfort at various points. So an, an indicator light, a light on the dashboard, if there's true gospel diversity and unity, then the light is equitable inconvenience. <laughs> I love what Brian Loritz says, pastor up north in California, uh, he speaks into this conversation all the time as a, a pastor of color with a heart for gospel unity. And, and he basically says there's different levels of multi-ethnic church. And, you know, he, he categorizes them into three levels. And the bottom two is basically just multicolored, where there's not a sharing of culture. And then the second one is a multi-ethnic assimilation but still one culture. And honestly, that's the one that I would love to see the Spirit grow Park Hill in more. Because the top level of multi-ethnic expression, unity and diversity, according to Brian Loritz, which I see all over the scriptures, especially Revelation 7, is this church of true multi-ethnic, multicultural sharing where, where there's that. Everyone is equally uncomfortable. There's no one group that is more comfortable here because we're all being challenged by Jesus. How is that looking in your life? Because we can, we can have JT Thomas come and speak and he just brings the fire and we feel great about it for like six months until we talk about it again. Or we can talk about, you know, we need to agree with family members that we have a hard time with until we actually sit down and display loving curiosity at our dinner table and actually maybe repent for how we've treated them in the past. <laughs> like, how is it looking when it trickles down from preaching and church to community and to your home? How, how is this looking? Equitable inconvenience. So in the name of Jesus... In the name of the promise, can I call you, Park Hill Church, including myself, to consider this week how I am embracing, how you are embracing inconvenience that makes room for others in your life? Or very practically, how are you letting Jesus challenge your political leanings? Does Jesus agree with you on your politics? Do you just assume he does? Really? I don't know. I don't know that there is that. I don't know that that exists. 
You know, what about your views on race? Your preferences and opinions on personal freedoms and how they're expressed in the state of California. Are you praying for the spirit to make you more authentically curious of people who don't look like you? Think and act and live and eat like you. Church family, that's, that's, the, one, that's the one thought. How are we sharing in inconvenience for the sake of love? And we have to bring that question honestly to Jesus. God's calling us to be part of this huge family of faith. And yes, it will be realized in Revelation 7. We can look forward and go, God's going to make us one one day. We're supposed to live it already. What is that looking like? And so the Revelation 7 picture, you, you guys, it's not a melting pot where everyone's identity is just melted and everyone loses their culture and everyone loses their language and everyone loses their ethnicity. No, you keep it. You keep your ethnicity, you keep your language, and whatever parts of your culture were out of line with the kingdom are redeemed and your culture, purified, is brought to Jesus. And so we're, we're a tribe of these tribes, a united tribe without tribalism around Jesus. It's beautiful. So how is the Spirit leading you into equitable inconvenience for the sake of the family of God? That, that's the question, really. And so we're going to come to the table inviting the Spirit to shine a light on our hearts. So let's do that right now. Let's all stand. The first day of the church, the Holy Spirit started this work by causing people to speak in languages they didn't know. How uncomfortable was that? The whole church just starts babbling in languages they don't know for the sake of the other. What would that look like in our world? How would the Spirit light us up to get us into the lives of others in our life? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would baptize us in the love of God. Fill us with your spirit so that we would manifest the kind of life that you call us to, that you see us becoming. Have your way here, God. Have your way. And may we be open. May we, may we be open to knowing how our way is wrong when compared to yours. Where do we need to be realigned where do we need to come under the authority of the true king?